Teal Talk Radio, Season 7, Episode 22. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 22 of Teal Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today, we're speaking with Nick Correa, professional chef and director of child nutrition here in the Salisbury Township School District. He also serves as the director of safety and sanitation for Southwest Food Service Excellence, a national food service management company. Prior to joining Salisbury, Nick was the Eastern Region Executive Chef for SFE. He's also worked in restaurants, corporate dining, and institutions. When Nick isn't cooking, he enjoys baseball and time with his family. He's also pretty creative with fruit carvings. So welcome to the podcast, Nick. Happy to be here. Thank you. So um, I think we have to first start with the fruit carving thing. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think part of what we try to do is when we partner with the school district, we want to make sure that we are really part of the community. And, and one of those things is, you know, when it comes to food, we really see the food first. We That's the first time we really get to experience it. And uh, we really try to do a good job of decorating our lines. That way the, the line looks appeasing, the food looks amazing. And, uh, you know, being able to put up a nice watermelon carving of like the school mascot really instills the pride in the students, really invites them in. And it, it really sets the tone of the type of experience they're going to get. And, you know, at that point, it's very easy for us to hit it out the park. Absolutely. Talk about first impressions with those fruit carvings. We've we've seen those carvings and we know that you've also um, worked with some of our staff members to learn how to do some carvings uh, to make the lines appealing and um, to create that first impression of the food. Absolutely. So let's get our conversation started with a personal story about how you became interested in the child nutrition industry. Well, I think it started with just food. Um, I always was attracted to my big family gatherings around the holidays, birthday celebrations. And it was always, everyone was always in the kitchen. Uh, everyone had to do their part. And uh, a lot of my fondest memories growing up were around food or around the dinner table. And it was in high school and I started working at restaurants. I really started to see that sense of family. But even more so than that, I realized that there's a connection between uh, food and people's experiences, uh, just like I had in my personal life. My mom always wants to go to the same places for her birthdays or anniversaries. So I really, I understood at that point that food is like the ultimate connector. And if I can put myself in a position to share a part of someone's experience or to make them really enjoy uh, what it is that's going on in, in their personal life and, and being involved in, in any capacity, uh, there's no better way to do that. So I ended up applying to Johnson Wells University up in Providence, Rhode Island. And while I was there, I was working for the university at one of their hotel properties, but also working at Brown University in Rhode Island School of Design. And upon graduation, I started working for Darden. And with Darden, they're such a huge conglomerate. They own Capitol Grill, Longhorn Steakhouse, Red Lobster, Seasons 52. Uh, they were really big on quality assurance and, and safety. So that's where that kind of got ingrained into me and and that passion for making sure that not only we're making great food but we're making it at the highest quality possible and as safely as possible for our guests my time there i ended up serving as a culinary captain where i would go and support multiple restaurants in my region so i got to see at that time how to engage with different staff members and kind of really start tailoring how you know we work with different people understanding different management styles and that was a huge you know uh platform for me 
And then I left there and I started working for Del Frisco's, which is more of an upscale style restaurant with nice open kitchens. So, you know, you're really putting on a show for the guests while they're there. They're seeing pizzas fly in the air. You know, they're seeing the fire burning on the saute line. So really, you know, taking that one step further of making sure that we are working at the highest standards possible to really deliver on those expectations. One day I, I got a phone call from one of my friends at SFE and he told me that if I was interested in something in a change that he really thought that it would be a good fit for me. And I never thought I would have went to culinary school to do child nutrition, to be 100% honest. But honestly, it's been the best decision I've ever made professionally. Mm -hmm. And I went all in and I tried to learn and wrap my head around everything that is K-12. It's so vastly different from all other segments of food service. And I haven't looked back. It's been it's been quite the, the journey. Well, it's easy to see the passion that you have for food service, child nutrition, developing the relationships and leading others around you. So thanks for sharing those stories. So zoom ahead to uh, the time that we're at now, December of 2020 in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And one of the things that's definitely surfaced uh, in the education realm is the importance of child nutrition. Uh, many schools are in remote learning or they're in hybrid and, and children are not always in school and able to take advantage of, of that food service. So how has the pandemic changed your, your realm of expertise here, child nutrition? What, what's been interesting is, you know, there has everyone's focus on safety has, you know, become even more paramount during these times, you know, safety has really become top of mind. And uh, when it comes to food service, that's always something that has been ingrained into what we do every single day. Uh, you know, the CDC has said that there's no evidence of COVID-19 being transmitted to food. So, you know, that's one of those hurdles that, you know, we had to kind of make sure that when we're still handling the food, we're handling it properly. You know, we have that extra assurance of, of confidence that, you know, we're going to be able to, you know, deliver great tasting food and, and the food itself would not transmit uh, the virus. But when it comes to food preparation standards, it has all stayed the same. It's really been introducing, and excuse me, implementing the uh, COVID-19 guidelines. So in an atmosphere where we really work on, you know, as a team, and multiple people were usually working on something, we really kind of changed that to more of independent style working where there's typically only one person working at a table. We're spacing people out. Uh, in some places where they have multiple kitchen employees, people are working on the cafeteria or in other areas or maybe even facilities that are closed during this time that are not serving sites. So really try and do our best to spread our folks out, you know, ensure that they're in a safe environment. Um, and also making sure they're able to, you know, provide great meals for our students, regardless of how we're serving them. So on that note, you know, we're, we're in different serving models. We have face-to-face -face in some places where students are still coming through the line, they're picking up their meals, they're eating there or in the classrooms. We're doing curbside models where we're physically outside. Parents or guardians are driving up to pick up meals. And we're also in different situations where we're actually you know, bring meals to people's homes. So we really had to learn how to pivot and pivot very quickly to ensure that we're taking care of our community. We understand that not everyone may have access to nutritious foods um, and they may face some food insecurities. And, you know, being part of that community partner, it's it, we're really trying to deliver for those families that uh, may be in more need now than, than ever before. 
And you've certainly delivered for our families in our in our district. I mean, as as you said, you have a variety of um, programs across your across the state and across the country. And and in our district, for our listeners, we are running the curbside model. And um, you know, we've you've had to pivot pretty quickly to be able to do that. And your staff has had to pivot and implementing these guidelines and also sort of um, adopting a different level of execution of service because there is a whole lot more into getting that food out <laughs> curbside than uh, in the kitchen. Um, so many variables, um, so many different uh, coordinations that you're doing um, that really Absolutely. create a different experience for, for not only the consumer, but also those of you who are delivering the service. Absolutely, and, and the staff uh, is, you know, has really stepped up not only here, but across board, you know, in every single institution, you know, everyone is stepping up to the task and, and they take a lot of pride in what they do. And they, they, you know, I tell my staff every single day that what they're doing, whether it's cupping vegetables or they're outside handing out milks, you know, what they do absolutely matters and, and they are making a difference in their community. So you've also done some, um, you've made a difference in our school community because you've sort of partnered with us to have some add-ons when food service is happening. Um, talk to us a little bit about what that's looked like, because if there are other schools listening or other districts, um, we've had some real success with that. Absolutely. So, you know, everything from, you know, being up to date with all the compliance, making sure that we're looking at waivers and things of that nature so we can maximize on the number of families that we're able to serve um, to, you know, some grant writing, because there is some money available out there for districts in certain areas. Uh, so if you aren't aware or you haven't looked into it, please look into it. Maybe a great resource for you. Uh, but one thing that we've been able to do here and in multiple districts across our company with SFE is we really kind of leaned into you know our innovation technology uh, component, and with that was mobile ordering. So you know we understand that our teachers are in house. They're you know they're they're doing remote learning from the classrooms. And, you know, they do have a break within the day before they have to come back and do their afternoon classes. So to kind of ease some of the pressure off of them from leaving and having to come back, what we implement those are mobile ordering. So they're able to actually come in, order in the morning, the food will be ready for pickup. They could come right down, pick it up, go back to their classroom. It's completely cashless. So really trying to find those opportunities to make it easy for them uh, as, you know, they've added on some of their own stressors in the, in the current uh, learning models. The other thing that we are able to do with that platform, which is great, is we allow uh, families to survey um, the different meals that are being served. So it's, it's like a one to five star rating. They can go, they can click on what it is that they have uh, had to eat that day, and they can give their feedback as to what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy. And at that, we could use to uh, pivot and uh, change the menus and keep them as current as possible, maximizing the community engagement you know the students are no longer in the building so we have to give them a reason to keep coming back uh to pick up meals so we're constantly looking at our menus and and trying to identify what it is that they would really enjoy right now and especially now getting into the colder months uh we're looking more into those comfort foods and things like that and trying to incorporate that into our menus uh to be a little bit more engaging so in addition to all of those things, you've done a great job promoting and, you know, getting it on Facebook and sending out text messages to our families and sort of meeting our families where they are so that 
Um, we make it as easy as possible for everyone to come and get meals. You've offered two pickups, a morning and an evening, two days a week, um, based on the guidelines. But you've also had some sort of add-on services um, that, you know, who would have ever thought we would have needed these kind of services at the beginning of the year from our child nutrition department? Well, you know, we, we understand that, you know, we are going to be there. We are going to be available during those times. And uh, if if we can do it, it's not a far stretch outside of, you know, what we're able to do. So at Salisbury, we're doing, we're working with our librarians and we're providing book pickup and drop off for, for families. Um, families can go onto the, the, the district website and they can go and they can request books for their, for their students. They can come up while they're picking up a meal. They could pick up the books, they could drop the books off. Um, and it's really a great partnership that we have with uh, the, the district librarians and, and being able to, uh, you know, help, that part of the enrichment program for those students. Another program is we, we do Blessings in the Backpack. It's, a, it's another program for offering meals on weekends, um, and that's through Lehigh Valley. And we've been partnering with them, and we've been distributing those meals as well uh, during those pickups for the families that are enrolled in that program. So we've been very fortunate to uh, be able to partner and, and be there and, and be the face of that. And we're so happy that, you know, our staff wants to see the kids, you know, so when the families roll up and, and, and they're there, they're waving and, you know, they're, they're trying to pick up their books, you know, it's, we're, we're really trying to provide as much full service as we can um, through our curbside model. And it certainly creates opportunities for, for families to connect with the school, pick up the lunches, pick up library books, you know, sometimes parents, you know, while they're there, they're dropping off a laptop that might need to be repaired or, um, you know, submitting paperwork and just creating creating that um, collaborative community connection has been really valuable for us. And also the artwork from the students that we can decorate our kitchens with. And I know my staff really enjoys that. Oh, fun. Oh, that's awesome. Kids drop off artwork for you? Absolutely. Uh, and, and letters of appreciation. So we have those posted in our kitchens. Well, that sounds really motivating for staff, and and um, it's been a pleasure to see see people in action, and you know, get, and the fact that our our staff is getting to know families and the cars that pull up and how many meals they're um, looking for that day, it's it's been really great to watch the program grow. So lots of uh, interesting uh, sort of under the hood, inside the system uh, look at uh, child nutrition today. Uh, Nick, what what? advice would you give to the majority of our listeners who are school administrators uh, to think about in terms of moving forward and feeding kids? Absolutely. I think the, the first thing is the overall participation of the program. Um, we, it's going to be really difficult for you to get the full participation that you may typically see uh, during the academic year. Uh, but what you do see is because the service model is a serve only, you're going to see a higher participation maybe in your breakfast or even your lunch. You may see different splits in how those meals are being picked up. So um, that's one thing to kind of look at. The other is the cost of goods. Cost of goods universally has been up, uh, and it's no different when it comes to uh, food for child nutrition programs. We are asking, you know, mainline vendors like Tyson or Pilgrim to uh, discontinue items that are not typically, you know, popular to really get the, the the bare basics and produce those items so that we were able to streamline all of our um, our purchasing power to get those items. So so you'll see some of that. And with that comes supply and demand. So you'll you do see a little bit of an uptick in, in food costs. And then the bigger component for the cost associated to the program 
is paper costs. So everything has moved to a to-go model, um, especially if you're doing a home delivery or a curbside model. So everything from souffle cups to uh, styrofoam containers to T-shirt bags, napkins, uh, those are all extra items that we didn't have in our operation previously. So you will see a little bit of that. And, you know, understand that there there is a, a level of flexibility that we need to understand. You know, it's, it's difficult to um, say that the students are, you know, either all going to come back next week or, you know, we're all going to go and start serving uh, curbside or home delivery the next week. There's a lot of moving parts, communication, uh, working with our vendors to get items in and understanding that, you know, we're in a model in the state of Pennsylvania where if you have two substantials in a row, everyone gets removed from uh, face-to-face learning and being in moderate allows students to be in face-to-face learning. It does give some of that wiggle room for us to, you know, look at the situation, understand where we're at and, and be able to to move and adapt um, within that time frame. You know, there are going to be some staff challenges. Um, some folks, you know, honestly, may not be comfortable being in a certain model um, and, and being in that situation to serve the meal. So, so some districts have struggled with staffing. Uh, we've been very fortunate here at Salisbury and everyone has, you know, really, you know, it's been a call to action and, and people have really stepped up and have done things that, you know, they've never done before. And I'm very proud of them and I'm sure they're very proud of themselves. And, uh, uh, going back to some of the food stuff, just product availability. Some things may not be available. Um, so yes, some menus may be a little rep- repetitive. Um, items do get you know shorted, things of that nature. So it's just you know un- you know the community understanding that there are some limitations, but we're doing everything we can every single day to to break that and really offer you know the best service that we can to our families. So Nick, if there's something you want parents to know or families to know, what is that? We, we, we will do whatever we can to get meals out to to them. You know, uh, there is ease to coming in and getting meals. It is free for anyone 18 and under, uh, regardless of your meal eligibility. So, you know, if during the school year you're paying for lunch, you're free all the way to the end of the school year. Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't come out and, and, and pick up a meal, I'm sure. Um, I know my my niece is eating my like my brother's place out of house and home um, with them being <laughs> home. So you know, it, it's it's if if not for their main meal, but it's great for supplement for you know what's happening at the house. So we really encourage everyone to come out. And then on the back end, you know, talking towards the administrators, every meal that's served, you know, goes back to the food service uh, program and to the school district. So typically when a a food service fund uh, is running in the negative, that's offset by the general fund. So, you know, whatever income, whatever revenue we can make uh, during this time to kind of offset some of those costs will be really advantageous for a lot of school districts and and will allow, you know, um, the general fund to to stay intact. Yeah, maybe that's something to clarify for our listeners, at least here in Pennsylvania, and maybe you can you can help us understand if this is a nationwide thing. Here in Pennsylvania, the Child Nutrition Program, Food Services, actually runs kind of at its own separate business. Uh, it's run outside of the general operating budget. And like what Nick said is when that... Uh, food service business uh, doesn't perform uh, with a profit, uh, that general fund 
or general taxpayer dollars end up uh, being funneled into that to balance that budget. Um, does that does that happen in every state, or is that uh, something unique here? Yeah, no, that's that's across the board. So you know, uh, some some districts, depending on you know whether free and reduced lunch eligibility, some programs are just designed to run in the negative, um, and and every meal served, it's it there's a reimbursement attached to each one of those meals. Uh, that goes to the school district. So, you know, right now, being able to serve every student for free allows us to get the highest level of reimbursement for those meals. So the more meals you serve, the more revenue you bring in. And that may also look different on your balance sheets um, on a month-to-month in this current model. So it's probably worth reiterating for parents, too, that might be listening, that every meal that you pick up that is free actually ends up supporting the school lunch program within your school district and helping keep that, um, helping keep the general budget funds out of the, out of supporting the the food service program because the federal government will pay us for those meals. So whether you are eligible for free and reduced or not, go out to your school and pick up those free meals as often as you can. And we're happy to serve them. And Nick, they're free right now due to a waiver, right? So if people, they're free right now in 2020, if someone's listening to this podcast, um, you know, in June of 2021, that may not be the case. But right now, talk to us a little bit about the waiver and, and how it works. Sure. So the current waiver allows us to have meal flexibility, not only for what we're able to serve, but also the times of which we're serving throughout the day. Um, so we're able to offer meals at different times outside of what the school hours may be. And that's going to go on all the way through until uh, June 30th of, of this year, 2021. Thanks for clarifying that for our, for our families. So before we invite you to share what's next for you, let's hear your responses to our rapid response questions. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who's one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about child nutrition? Well, every, uh, every school district is assigned a representative from their local uh, Department of Agriculture. So if you don't know who they are, you know, just shoot them an email and uh, you can, they'll, they'll let you know who you're assigned to and they will be the subject matter expert for your region because uh, some things may be different depending on uh, local regulatory agencies and things of that nature. Um, but if you can reach out to them, you're more than welcome to reach out to me and I can put you in touch with someone that can answer whatever questions you may have. If you were recommending one book to our listeners, what would that book be? So uh, Chef Ann Cooper, she wrote the book uh, Lunch Lessons and she really started in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, you know, really promoting uh, fresh from scratch foods being served in schools, the push towards going towards organic um, with the regulations and food service and school school nutrition specifically, there uh, things are getting tighter in terms of like sodium content, things of that nature. So there really is a, a push towards, you know, more scratch cooking. Uh, SFE really does what they can to provide as many scratch made items you know, during the course of the academic school year, we understand that students are going to be in the building for 180 days. And I know if I ate at the same restaurant for 180 days, I'll probably get tired of what they're serving. So, you know, we are really trying to leverage not only 
you know, what's available, but, you know, taking what's available and, and being creative with it and trying to offer it in different ways. And, you know, whether it is serving Pacific Rim style foods or, you know, Cajun Creole doing sushi or, you know, what have you, you know, we really tried to provide uh, a unique experience for our students and uh, Chef Ann really pioneered that uh, very early on. Do you have an online site or resource or person from whom you learn regularly? First and foremost, but probably my mentor is the CEO of SFE, Monty Staggs, um, and Rachel Lindstrom, who's the director of compliance for the company. They're the people that I probably go to the most um, for uh, guidance around K-12. Uh, also, you know, the USDA Food Safety Inspection Service, you know, because I, I do a lot more food safety stuff for uh, SFE. Also, the CDC website with any updating changes regarding COVID and how we're going to be doing that, and uh, the Food Safety Magazine and Food Service Management Magazine. Excellent. We'll link those in the show notes. And that's certainly, um, so Salisbury Township has not had a food service provider before SFE, and we've certainly found that working with SFE has been a very um, collaborative experience with yourself, um, with previous chefs we've had the opportunity to work with, and with also the extended uh, corporate resources that you mentioned, including um, Monty and Rachel. You always have somebody to connect with to talk about compliance or um, to talk about innovation or challenges within the program or how to streamline the budget. So that support from the organization has been a really good partnership with us in Salisbury Township School District. Really happy to hear. And I'm sure today's conversation has really helped our listeners sort of get a behind-the-curtain look at child nutrition and food service, and I'm sure they're leaving with a couple of uh, new learnings as a result of the conversation today. So thanks, Nick. To finish this up, what's next for you? What are you working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, right now we're trying to identify um, for extended breaks. So, you know, we just had the Thanksgiving break, and we're going into the winter break, and then also, you know, the spring break that's coming up, you know, how we can kind of tailor uh, how we serve the kids and the learners uh, during during that time period and do it safely, you know, trying to look at more bulk items, um, you know, serving cans instead of cupping fruit. And that way, you know, it's, it's less time and temperature. Uh, it's more time and temperature safe. Also looking at, you know, leveraging our mobile ordering system, trying to expand that out and, and try to, you know, find new ways to engage more uh, staff and families. Um, and also looking at, so during COVID, a lot of things have shut down. And one of those things has been like food donations. So I'm confident as things continue to be whatever the new normal is, is that we're going to see a resurgence of food rescuing. So food donations and things of like that. So looking at community partnerships, um, you know, what avenues there are to either, you know, do the food rescuing or even instituting, you know, food pantries and things like that within school districts uh, nationwide for our company. And like I said before, you know, looking at those winter comfort food recipes and start looking at how we can rewrite those so that they are more to go friendly. Um, a lot of those are, are usually messy dishes. So trying to build those in a way that it's able to go home and still have the integrity of uh, being able to enjoy it. And it's recognizable and it's enjoyable for, for those families. And, uh, you know, just continue on the being a chef, you know, I'm always looking at creating new and exciting recipes and, uh, you know, trying to put child nutrition first. So what I, I really appreciate about your answers and about 
the whole child nutrition realm is that it is constantly looking to improve and grow and and respond to the complex environment that we exist in. And I think that um, I reflect back to when we were self-operated, and it was pretty status quo. Uh, you know, not really, not a whole lot of innovation going on. And so. I appreciate in your answers the fact that we're taking this really important aspect of the educational program and continuing to look at how do we evolve, how do we get better. And we want to do that in all aspects of our educational program. And I love the idea of this uh, child nutrition doing the same thing. We, we try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and, and really it's a pleasure working with you and SFE, your approach to um, service and problem solving and innovation and connection to staff and uh, community has been really a valuable asset for Salisbury Township. And never in a time has it been more important than it is now when we're working to serve our learners who are not in our buildings. So thank you for that. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. To learn more about Nick's work, you can visit the show notes. There'll be resources there um, that we've linked from the conversation. And um, each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how can districts collaborate with the child nutrition department to ensure food security for all learners? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season seven, episode 22. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Nick. Thank you. See you around. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>